have a Bible, let me invite you to turn with me to Daniel chapter 7. Daniel 7, you'll find Daniel after Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel in your Old Testament. I again want to welcome uh, students who are returning from Christmas break. We missed you and we're happy to see you again. And if you're visiting tonight, thank you so much for coming. We'd love an opportunity, opportunity to, to know you. Last fall, uh, we started a series on Daniel. We made it through chapter 6 and then we took a break at Christmas. If you're returning, uh, you haven't missed anything. Uh, tonight we pick up at Daniel chapter 7. Uh, Daniel shows us uh, through event after event in chapter 1 and through vision after vision in chapter 7 to 12 um, that God is sovereign over the nations. In the language of uh, Daniel, uh, the Most High rules the kingdom of men and he places over them whom he wills. He raises them up. And he brings them down. That's what we've seen again and again. Tonight we see Daniel have a very strange and for him perplexing and disturbing vision. Let me invite you to consider uh, this vision and learn from it what our God is like and what he is doing in this world. Daniel chapter 7. Hear now the word of God. In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel saw a dream and visions of his head as he lay in his bed. Then he wrote down the dream and told the sum of the matter. Daniel declared, I saw in my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea, and four great beasts came up out of the sea different from one another. The first was like a lion and had eagle's wings. Then as I looked, its wings were plucked off and it was lifted up from the ground and made to stand on two feet like a man and the mind of a man was given to it. And behold, another beast, a second one, like a bear. It was raised up on one side. It had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth And it was told, Arise, devour much flesh. And after this I looked, and behold, another, like a leopard, with four wings of a bird on its back. And the beast had four heads, and dominion was given to it. After this I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, terrifying and dreadful and exceedingly strong. It had great iron teeth. It devoured and broke in pieces and stamped what was left with its feet. It was different from all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. I considered the horns, and behold, there came up among them another horn, a little one, before which three of the first horns were plucked up by the roots, and behold... In this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man, and a mouth speaking great things. As I looked, thrones were placed, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow, and the hair of his head like pure wool. 
His throne was fiery flames. Its wheels were like burning fire. A stream of fire issued and came out from before him. A thousand thousands served him. And 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him. The court sat in judgment and the books were opened. I looked then because of the sound of the great words that the horn was speaking. And as I looked, the beast was killed and its body destroyed and given over to be burned with fire. As for the rest of the beasts, their dominion was taken away, but their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. And his kingdom, one that shall not be destroyed. As for me, Daniel, my spirit within me was anxious and the visions of my head alarmed me. I approached one of those who stood there and asked him the truth concerning all this. So he told me and made known to me the interpretation of the things. These four great beasts are four kings who shall arise out of the earth. But the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, forever and ever. Then I desired to know the truth about the fourth beast, which was different from all the rest, exceedingly terrifying, with its teeth of iron and claws of bronze, and which devoured and broke in pieces and stamped what was left with its feet. And about the ten horns that were on its head, and the other horn that came up before which three of them fell, the horn that had eyes and a mouth that spoke great things, and that seemed greater than its companions. As I looked... This horn made war with the saints and prevailed over them until the Ancient of Days came and judgment was given for the saints of the Most High and the time came when the saints possessed the kingdom. Thus he said, as for the fourth beast, there shall be a fourth kingdom on earth which shall be different from all the kingdoms and it shall devour the whole earth. And trample it down and break it to pieces. As for the ten horns out of this kingdom, ten kings shall arise and another shall arise after them. He shall be different from the former ones and shall put down three kings. He shall speak words against the Most High and shall wear out the saints of the Most High and shall think to change the times and the law. And they shall be given into his hand for a time, times, and half a time. But the court shall sit in judgment, and his dominion shall be taken away, to be consumed and destroyed to the end. And the kingdom and the dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High. Their kingdom shall be an everlasting kingdom. And all dominions shall serve and obey him. 
Here is the end of the matter. As for me, Daniel, my thoughts greatly alarmed me and my color changed, but I kept the matter in my heart. Amen. This is God's word. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we could not do justice to the weight and the glory of the kingdom of Christ and what we've heard if we tried, none of us and not this preacher, blessed beyond measure, beyond all ability by your spirit, the reading and the hearing and the preaching of your word. And may it be good to the salvation of our souls, for we pray in his name. Amen. To, I, I did college campus ministry for over a decade. To warm up students in a small group, I, I'd ask one of those uh, dreaded icebreaker questions. And uh, the question I like to ask was, um, if you could be any animal, what would you be and why? Now, I always said I'd prefer to be a dolphin. Uh, a dolphin is uh, fun, playful. It gets to explore the entire ocean, and they're known to uh, attack sharks even protecting people, and I think that's both uh, cool and cute. And so, uh, so a dolphin it is. What would you be? Nations sometimes take an animal as a national symbol. Ben Franklin once wrote, playfully perhaps to his daughter, that the American symbol ought to be the wild turkey instead of the eagle. Why? Well, he wrote this, For in truth, the turkey is, in comparison, a much more respectable bird. And a true original native of America, he is besides, though a little vain and silly, a bird of courage. And would not hesitate to attack a grenadier of the British guards who should presume to invade his farmyard with a red coat on. Some historians take him very seriously. Others realize he's probably being playful. Uh, A a turkey? Uh, We eat those for Thanksgiving. But that was his suggestion. We, however, did in fact take the eagle, as perhaps you remember. Russia took the bear. China took the dragon. It is a time-honored tradition for world powers. And here in Daniel, he had a dream. A vision, a nightmare for him, really, where he's deeply disturbed because he sees nations and kings depicted by fierce creatures, all predators. The dream gives us an outline of the course of history. God has a plan, and by vision, he gives it, rather obscurely, to Daniel. And in God's plan, he works all things from the greatest to the least after the counsel of his own will. Now, he doesn't tell us everything about that plan as much as we would like. Deuteronomy 29, 29 says, The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things revealed belong to us and to our children. Some things are revealed, some things are secret. They're all part of God's plan. Here, Daniel gets a vision, and he didn't understand all of the details. He was perplexed. He asked more questions. Many of us would like to do that. You'll do that after this sermon. I can't cover every deal, uh, detail. I don't understand every detail, and I don't have time in a sermon to cover for you every detail I think I understand. So uh, that being said, I'm off the hook from all the little details, but I want to catch the big picture. I want you to see 
Clearly, the big idea, and what is that? As one commentator put it, the events of history are not isolated from events beyond history. The events of history are not isolated from events beyond history. Daniel 7 teaches us that the course of humanity is determined in the throne room of God Almighty. That's what this is about. And it's what we most need to see amidst a rapidly changing world. Busy lives, so many cares and distractions, troubles and sorrows, frustrations and disappointments, wars and terrorism, sickness and death. And in this world, the Christian church is so often marginalized or mocked or massacred. We need to know that God is on the throne and he has a plan and he will not be thwarted in seeing it come to pass. And so let me invite you to consider this text for us. Let me, let me outline it for you in three parts and then we'll work our way through it. In verses 1 to 8, you have the vision of the four beasts. And in it we see the successive and devouring kingdoms of man. In verses 9 through 14, you have the eyes turned upward to heaven, another vision, and in it we see the successful and universal dominion of the Son of Man. And in verse 15 through 28, you have an interpretation of the dream in greater detail, but in it we see the suffering and safety of the saints of the Most High God. Three things, the successive and devouring kingdoms of man, then the successful and universal dominion of the Son of Man, and then the suffering and safety of the saints of the Most High God. Those three things. invite you to consider verses 1 to 8 as we look at the first part of this, the successive and devouring kingdoms of man. Daniel here does not see a vision of the positive progress of humanity. No, evolution has not made us better. He sees a vision of the terrifying reality of the strong eating the weak. Verse 1 tells us this took place in the first year of Belshazzar, that is the vision did. Remember that he was the final ruler of the kingdom of Babylon, that dynasty. We saw him in chapter 5. He was the guy who was weighed on the scales and found to be wanting and the kingdom was ripped from him and given that very night to the Medes and the Persians and he was struck dead. That's Belshazzar. So we're going backwards in time here to when this vision was given. And in verses 2 through 8, it's a vision of beasts, four of them. And they are, as verse 17 tells you, they are four kings and they are bent on conquest. They treat others with brutality. They're driven by greed. They're ravenous and insatiable. Uh, The text of the vision begins, though not with the beasts, but with the sea and the four winds of heaven. Look at verse 2. The four winds of heaven, he saw, were stirring up the great sea, and four great beasts came out of that sea. God appoints one bad nation after another 
to be the judge and executioner of one bad nation after another. As nation arises against nation. But it is the winds of heaven that bring them. That stir this up to happen. And great nations will devour small nations and powerful people will be squashed. Simply because they're servants of Jesus. The first beast he describes is a great lion with wings like an eagle. But then we see that the wings are torn off. And then we see it's raised to its feet and it's given the heart of a human. That is very clearly, and almost nobody disagrees, that this is a picture of Babylon, and especially under its glory days of Nebuchadnezzar, when Daniel had lived uh, through the events of King Nebuchadnezzar having a kingdom that filled uh, the world, with, and it was glorious, and it was high and lifted up and mighty, like a great lion, but with wings flying. And then Nebuchadnezzar came crashing to the ground as God humbled him in his pride and ripped off his wings, and he ate, he ate grass. He, he had a beastly mind, but then he was restored, and he was lifted up again like a man, and, and his mind, his heart was restored to him, the heart of a human being. He was changed back from his beastliness. That seems to be what he's referring to here. The second beast is like a bear. And I would argue, as many, many do, and this is the most common interpretation, this is the Medio, or Medo-Persian Empire, the Medes and the Persians, which followed uh, Nebuchadnezzar and Belshazzar and the Babylonians. It's a bear, he sees, that's raised up either on its side or on its hind legs. It's a little unclear, but it wasn't fasting. Now, this is no cute bear from, you know, blueberries with Sal. Yeah, you don't just stumble across him, you know, on the mountaintop while you're all picking blueberries because it's, it's an omnivore, or it's an uh, herbivore. No, 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 this is more like a, a carnivorous grizzly. And uh, it's up on its legs. Maybe it's already looking for the next thing, but it is chomping down on, on the bones of its devoured prey. And it is told to eat its fill. Of flesh. And there's a third. It's like a leopard. It has four heads, however, and four wings like a bird. It represents Greece. Under Alexander the Great, his armies were so swift, they would conquer one enemy and in weeks attack another and he went in every direction and he flew fast and swift and he conquered until as it said he wept because there no more there were no more worlds to conquer and after he's died his kingdom was divided into four and then there is this fourth beast and it's not like anything we can imagine there's no it's like and then some animal <laughs> But it's terrifying and dreadful and exceedingly strong. And when he describes it, Daniel simply tells you of its great iron teeth. It's like he got scared at a movie and all he saw was the teeth of Jaws. And he couldn't tell you what Jaws looked like, just the teeth. And it chomped and it chewed. And what it didn't eat, it stomped into dust. And many here see, and I think I agree, ancient Rome following Greece. And from this beast came ten horns 
ten powers. Perhaps we should see here a fullness or completeness of human powers. That's often the idea of ten in the Bible. Perhaps we're looking at nations or kings that arose out of Rome and after Rome that were somewhat tied to a Rome-like, but they weren't really necessarily the Roman Empire. There are all kinds of interpretations on this. Some think it's all in the past. Some think it's all in the future. Some think we're living in part of it now. And among them rose a little horn. This little horn had the eyes of a man and an arrogant mouth. So it's some kind of proud human leader. Daniel is deeply disturbed by it all. It's scary to him. And let me pause and make some applications right here. That reminds us that reading and hearing God's truth from God's word is not always pleasant and sweet. It's not all about love and heaven and warm friendships. It sometimes reminds us we don't live in a safe world. As my Old Testament professor put it, nations and kingdoms are out for conflict and conquest and control. Empires are bent to dominate and devour. And no matter how many people they mangle or how much misery they inflict, they are relentless. And just in the last century, it's cliche to say, just look at the last 100 years. You know, in 1895-96, the Turkish government troops had by then killed over 100,000 Armenians. Then in 1915, the Turks accused the Armenians of, I'm distinguishing that from Armenians, that's not a theological category, it's it's a nationality and ethnicity. Then in 1915, so the Turks accused the Armenians of assisting invading Russian troops, and April 24 was set as the date to liquidate and exterminate the Armenians from among them. Uh, By some estimates, over 600,000 died. Some have placed it even near double that. In ways that were so horrible, I decided not to describe them in the current company among us. And many horrors followed, as you know, through Stalin, uh, through Hitler. Name your favorite bad guy in the last 100 years. We have seen outbreaks on a more limited scope, thankfully, of great terror and evil deeds and oppression and persecution and violence in our own day. But all this violence and oppression and evil is not just out there. And we as a Christian church can sit back and go, guys, world, come to us. We're the place where everybody's perfect. Of course not. We have our own sordid history of believers and people who profess to believers who have done terrible things. And we know our own hearts and how capable we are and how often that breaks out in mean spirits and resentful and violent, angry words and emotions and actions. Um, A guy named Dave Harvey published a marriage book Uh, some time ago. The title was very honest. It was called When Sinners Say I Do. (laughs) Marriage, he was saying, may may prove to be delightful, but don't forget what kind of people are in it. (laughs) 
It may be a marriage made in heaven, but its partners are sinners. Selfish, not yet perfect, if if Jesus is making them that way. And verses 1 to 8 seem to be saying to us, don't be naive about human history. It is the nature of kingdoms and people in power to dominate and devour others. Because that's what sinners do. And so that's what we see in the visions. What does God do about it? Notice that the vision suddenly changes. His eyes are lifted off this world to heaven itself. And he sees both the Ancient of Days and the Son of Man in verses 9 through 14. What does God do about this? Well, verses 9 through 14, you see here the successful and universal dominion of the Son of Man. First, you see the Ancient of Days. He takes his seat here, verse 9 and 10. And so you kind of get the sense of while on earth men act like animals and devour one another, yet God in heaven sits in perfect calm on his throne. The earth is in chaos, but in heaven there is calm. He sits here, but he does not stew. (laughs) He sits, and he is in complete control, and he's going to have the books opened, and he's going to declare his judgment, and that's going to be it. Uh, He is called the Ancient of Days here. Notice some features about this character. He is the Ancient of Days, older than the nation's which come and go, but he remains the same forever. Notice his clothing is as white as snow, whereas the nations are filled with wickedness. He is pure and perfect righteousness. The hair of his head is white like wool. He's wise and dignified. He's worthy, and thousands upon thousands, even ten thousands upon ten thousands, and now the vision is playing with the way Hebrews counted numbers. It's They don't have number beyond 10,000. It's myriad. Myriads upon myriads. Multiplied. They don't go beyond that. But these all gather around his throne and they worship him. And think what an encouragement that might have been to Daniel, who again is an exile. An exile in a land that's not his home under the oppression of a king for whom he is a slave, though he's been exalted. Uh, Under Belshazzar, he has been neglected and he will be mocked and ridiculed before Belshazzar is done. Think what an encouragement it would have been to Daniel to see around the throne of God a multitude no man could number. And to think, I belong there. That is my home. That is where I am going to gather with those people. What an encouragement that would have been. And notice that God here is presented as the judge. The court sat in judgment. The books were opened. And in verses 10 10 through 11, the beast is destroyed and its body is burned with fire. Boom, gone. (laughs) Just like that. And then in verses 13 and 14, the vision changes from the ancient of days to one who is brought before him called the Son of Man. Notice verses 13 and 14. Let's read that. I saw in the visions and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a Son of Man. And he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. And I meant to tell all you Christians out there, don't think about Jesus when you hear this. Well, of course it's about Jesus, but Daniel didn't hear, he didn't know the name Jesus. 
He hadn't seen Jesus come and do what he did and have all the New Testament hopes that we have. But this is one of the clearest pictures we have in the Old Testament of Jesus, though we see more clearly than Daniel ever would have, though Daniel saw rightly. And we heard Jesus take the language of Son of Man in our reading in Luke 17 uh, for his, his own preferred description of himself. What do we see about this Son of Man? The text actually has a lot to say. We notice his humanity. He's, he's like a Son of Man. And that kind of language just means that, uh, you know, if you're a son of disobedience, it, mean, it, disobedience, it means you're a disobedient son. You know, if you're a son of a carpenter, then you're the carpenter's son. If you're a son of man, you're man's son. You're human. That's here. He may be more than human, but he's human. And he's not beastly like those other figures. But we do see something. There's a hint of it of his divinity here. It says he came with the clouds of heaven. And that expression is always used exclusively of God who comes riding upon the clouds of heaven. And here it's him. He does that. And we see his royalty, his humanity, his divinity, his royalty. He's presented before the Ancient of Days and dominion and glory and kingdom are given to him. In other words, God's answer to evil human kingdoms is the enthronement of his own king, the Son of Man. God's answer to the violent and oppressive and persecuting regimes of the world is not to lift one nation ruled by men and make it a shining city on a hill which before all other nations must bow. America is not God's plan for the world. Though... He cares deeply about every tribe and tongue and nation, dear Christian American friends, of course. But God's plan for the world, and again, is not Israel to rediscover and re-inhabit and then bring a king to a little piece of dusty earth in the Middle East. God's plan is Jesus. He is your only hope. He is the everlasting hope. He is God's answer, not politics not military might, not even democracy, but a theocracy under this king. In Matthew 26, before Caiaphas, the high priest, after Jesus is arrested, Jesus was asked by the high priest about his identity, and he explained himself with this passage. Matthew 26, Caiaphas says, tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. And Jesus answered, you have said so. But I tell you from now on, you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his robes and said, he's uttered blasphemy. What further witness do we need? See, Caiaphas understood that Jesus was claiming to be the royal and divine human son of man of Daniel 7. So Caiaphas said to those gathered, you have heard his blasphemy. What is your judgment? And they answered, he deserves death. They all understood who Jesus claimed to be. Notice here in, back in Daniel a couple things about his kingdom. It's universal. All nations and languages should serve him. And it's everlasting. It will not pass away. It shall never be destroyed. If you are not part of this kingdom, you're not in the right kingdom. This is the one to be part of. 
Just trust Jesus to be your Lord and Savior. And you live everlastingly with him in this kingdom. In, uh, when, when is the kingdom coming? We might ask that question. What, what would Daniel expect? What should we expect? Well, in Matthew 28, verse 18, I think it was obscure to Daniel, Matthew 28, verse 18, just before Jesus gives his disciples what's called the Great Commission, where he tells them to go and make disciples of all nations, he first says this, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go and make disciples of all nations. In other words, Jesus is telling you that Daniel 7 is not referring exclusively to his second coming when he comes in glory. As if only then will he rule and have power and authority. But that it is a reference to his ascension to the right hand of power now where he sits and rules and reigns. And he works his sovereign will. He is on his throne Seeing this secret behind history may not keep God's people from pain, but it should keep them from panic, says Ralph Davis. Now, none of this, I think, is as clear to Daniel as it is to us on this side. Daniel wants to know more, so you get him saying immediately after this vision, as for me, my spirit was anxious. Visions in my head alarmed me. I approached one of those who stood there and asked him the truth concerning this. So he told me and made known to me the interpretation. He wants to know more. And here we see one big final thing, at least let me highlight. And that is both the severe suffering, but certain security of all who are God's saints. All who are people of the most high God. Verses 15 and following. The vision does go on to say, and you're not going to be satisfied with how little I give attention to this. Ten kings will arise out of the fourth beast. The little horn seems to be the final king of evil. The horns represent, I think, powers who rule after the beast. And the little horn, as we said, seems to be a man figure greater than his companions, boastful, arrogant before God and his throne, And it may just be we're looking at here is what the Bible calls in 2 Thessalonians 2, the man of sin or the man of lawlessness who's called elsewhere the Antichrist. One who will be raised up, who will uh, oppose God uh, supremely, so to speak. He shall, Daniel says, say he shall speak words against the Most High and he shall wear out the saints of the Most High. He will rub them raw and thin and sap their strength. Can't help thinking of how the ring of power sapped the very life of Bilbo. And what did he say? I've forgotten. He feels like these uh, too little butter spread across too much bread or something. He, He felt thin. And he was. It wore him out. And so here, this one will wear out the saints of the Most High. This is, though, no accident. It is said that they shall be given into his hand. This is part of God's plan and purpose. And things will go from bad to worse before they get better. 
And the people of God will be persecuted and some will have their lives ended as 2,000 years of Christian history shows. They, however, may be persecuted, but they will not be destroyed. The court will sit in judgment and like that, his dominion is taken away. And like that, the Son of Man comes into the fullness of his glory and the saints are rescued. And the, and the overarching theme of the last half of this chapter is the repetition of the phrase. You see it at verse 18, you see it at verse 22, you see it at verse 27. That the saints will possess the kingdom forever, forever and ever. Verse 22, though this one, this horn makes war against the saints and prevailed against them until the ancient of days came and judgment was given. And the time when the saints possess the kingdom. Verse 27, the kingdom and the dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints. So it ends on a strong note of hope. Everything comes into the possession of the saints. Why? Because everything belongs to this king. And those who belong to the king become co-heirs with the king of all that is his. Whatever belongs to Jesus belongs to whomever belongs to Jesus. And so we may be crushed here and now by the weight of sin, shame, guilt, evil oppression from the world, the flesh, the devil. But we will possess one day the everlasting kingdom that lasts. And so think of how hope-giving this would have been to Daniel and ought to be for us on the cusp of new disappointments with this world. Because Daniel's about, he's about 10, 15 years here from the fulfillment of the prophecy that the exiles will get to go back to the promised land. Daniel's been living for 70, or he's going to live 70 years in exile with the hope that the people of God will return. And it would be easy to think, well, when we finally get out of Babylon and our discipline and punishment is over and we get into the promised land, things will be great. Things will be wonderful. The the glory of the kingdom of God will be reestablished to greater glory. And God says, no, no, it won't be like that. More rulers are coming who will seek to hurt you and destroy you. And more misery is coming your way. But there is hope. The saints are always secure. And by way of closing, I've got to tell the story of, of Ruth Clark. Faith Cook tells the story of Ruth Clark. She was a housekeeper, and she was a cook for a minister named Henry Venn in the 1700s. Uh, Ruth was converted during her years living and working in the household of, of the minister and serving his family. And after Henry Venn's death, his married children provided and cared for Ruth. Declining health hit her, and then she was hit by a speeding horse and carriage, and that caused her to be nearer to her end. And so one of the then sister or daughters asked Ruth uh, if she had any doubts as earthly life was coming to a close. And Ruth confessed that, well, she had no rapturous feelings, but still no fears or doubts. And then she explained, quote, He that has loved me all my life through will not forsake me now. 
And that is our assurance, friends. The Lord who made us his people will surely not forsake us. Precisely because he loves us with an everlasting love. Let's pray. Father, we glory in our Lord Jesus. We thank you for his love. Grant that we would know more and more how wide and long and high and deep that love is for us. And grant that we would feel and know with conviction and confidence that we are secure in the hand of our mighty Savior. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.